Hello, hello, hello. Clive here, editor of Stick A Round. I'm here to tell you, A, that this episode is a little bit late because it's been February album writing month. Um, this was recorded about four weeks ago and I've only just got around to editing it. Sorry, doesn't really matter though because it's just our best films of 2021. So I guess you could call it a, sorry, best films of 2020. I guess you could call it a timeless episode. And B, Al's recording was sort of all over the place and um, out of sync with all the rest. I've had to sort of rejig it. Um, I think I've saved things as best as possible, but there's the occasional bit where Al is clearly supposed to... I think there's only one occasion where, in fact, I think it's when I introduce Al and his response just isn't there because um, it didn't exist. Uh, But the rest of the time, it's absolutely fine. I've rejigged it, so it should all be more or less in sync. If ever there's a little bit of like, oh, that's a bit weird, that's probably why... Um, Hope you enjoy the episode. It's an absolute corker. Ooh. Get your head out of the clouds. Get your feet back on the ground. Get stuck into pop culture. Weird stick around. Hello there and welcome to Stick Around. The podcast with more hot dinners eaten than Tom Brady has Super Bowl appearances. Brought to you by Tussler Enterprises, producers of self-microwaving burgers and porn that wanks you off. <laughs> We've got... <laughs> the, fu- it's the future, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. And both, 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 uh, both products should be available to the general public within a couple of years. And uh, they definitely shouldn't be pushed into the future at decade uh, intervals of a decade at a time. Every time that the uh, the technology turns out to be inadmissible and or unsafe, and if that does happen and you don't like it or you criticise us, you're just a paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> well, take yeah. this, Elon. Oh, Fucking yeah. take that, a truth bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck you, you South African prick. Go back to your diamond mine. <laughs> Go back to your what? Oh, your diamond. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Then I- God, it's a good, it's a good thing we're not massively popular because there would be a campaign on 4chan to get us now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine they love them on 4chan. Um, I don't even know where to go with that. Hi, everyone. Uh, we're here for Stick Around, episode 165. Lovely sort of round number. Uh, 35 episodes off the big 200. Um, we're here for a special episode because it's our top five films of 2020. Um, importantly, before we get started, this is, as we always do, UK releases, uh, which this year's obviously been a bit odd. Uh, so we've obviously had cinemas have been open with sort of Jan to March. So there's there's those releases uh, in, in the UK, and then since then it's mainly been streaming stuff. Even though cinemas were open a little bit in the middle, uh, so there was a bit of a gap to watch some other stuff. Um, I think so. We'll be covering anything that's come out in the UK, whether it be streaming or in the cinema when it was open. Uh, I haven't got a list, but the two experts with me have, and that's Michael Johnson. Hello. And Alex Wayne. How are we both doing? Good. All right. All right, yeah. Um, Freezing, isn't it? Freezing. It is actually, yeah, and I, I, I'm i in the room in my house, which has a window that is, I'm going to assume, from the 1980s. So it's not got a great <laughs> seal on it, so it's a little bit drafty around here. Ooh. 
Yeah, we're, I'm in the attic, which has literally just been made. So couldn't be more modern. No draft up here. Beautiful. Wow. But there was snow on the window uh, yesterday, but it seems to have gone. So that's good. But yeah, very cold at the minute. Um, but some for some reason, like the attic's always warm, even when you don't have the heating on. I think it's like stealing other people's heating somehow. Well, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> You're a heating thief. Have Basically, you... yeah, it's great. One thing I've always meant to ask, actually, because I've never, I've never had an attic. Well, not one that's converted anyway. Um, when you're in there, do you frequently hear birds on the roof? <laughs> no, it's a good question. No, not really. Um, I did. I, I've spent a lot of my life in attics because when I was a kid, um, childhood home, I was in the, I had an attic bedroom, and in that one you could. Um, so I think it just depends if there's birds nesting in the in the rafters, basically. If, and it doesn't seem to be here. <laughs> if an uh, if an eagle landed, you hear that? Oh, you definitely <laughs> would take it from me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'd have to restart the pod if that happened. <laughs> so let's let's bloody hope not. Um, how, how it's obviously been a twenty twenty was an interesting year on many fronts. How do we think it was for films? Um, ultimately, you'd have to say a little bit disappointing. Um, because I thought you were going to say the best of the Beatles then, which was completely <laughs> irrelevant. But, um, the tone, the tone match. I mean, obviously, we did the the best of music episode uh, last time, and music was largely unaffected in terms of new, you know, music released at least. Obviously, either non-existent or minimal. But mm. um, with films, a lot of the, at least the bigger releases, um, are not economically viable if they're not going to get a cine- cinematic release. So, for example. I think it's at the point now where even the hard, the most hardcore Bond fan must be sick of it. Um, however, I will say this: um, in terms of independent releases, uh, most of which have gone straight to streaming sites in 2020, um, it has been the stronger, as it kind of always will be if you know where to look. Um, but in terms of de- certainly in terms of big cinema, you know, big award content. Well, the uh, the Oscars were pushed back, weren't they this year? Yeah, um, I mean. <laughs> Like I said, all of the kind of the big movies, the movies that people that the producers are hoping to make big money on, and and I'm not just talking Marvel films there. I'm talking kind of you know best pick, best picture contenders. They're trying to hold back until they feel they can um, you know wash their face, which I don't know if you remember, but is an industry term, so I'm told, which basically means paying for itself. Because if they're are we gonna? I mean, I'm, <clears throat> you're the expert here. Are we gonna end up with a problem of? that being a struggle because there's just going to be too many out at once. Um, yes, actually. I've been reading about this. and I, Well, I, I'm no expert on this part, but I read an article the other day um, that suggests that um, we may have a kind of a golden age, if you like, of um, you know mega blockbusters, Marvel films, uh, James Bond, Star Wars, etc., all kind of lining up on top of one another. Um, but inevitably, that will hit them at the box office because not everybody can afford £10 a week or whatever it is to go and see the latest film. People will have to pick mm-hmm. and choose. Um, so I think, ultimately, um, the decision um, by a lot of the producers to hold back all of their films is fairly short-sighted. Um, for example, Tenet did make the decision to have a cinematic release, and no doubt it won't have done particularly well. However, um, it's going to do a lot better than if it gets put out into a splurge of big movies. Uh, I mean, I think the most interesting take actually was Warner Brothers, who um, are uh, releasing all of their films simultaneously with their HBO Max um, streaming app Mm. in America. 
Uh, so, for example, the long-awaited uh, Dune adaptation, I know you've read the book, uh, or second Dune adaptation, if you will, is going straight to a streaming platform. Yeah. Um, not in this country, but... That should um, be quite an interesting experiment, I think, because there's obviously some speculation from some quarters that streaming, um, if it was the future anywhere, then that has only been accelerated by uh, by the conditions this year. Um, not entirely convinced on that, although you know the idea that the cinema will boom... Um, once restrictions are lifted, does seem a little bit presumptuous. I think we can't quite be sure about that. A lot could go wrong. A lot could happen. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. I think it's it's also going to be interesting in terms of. I feel like there's probably only so much room for a certain amount of films in the zeitgeist, um, and for people to be go like, yeah, you got to go see that. I feel like if there's fifteen out that. <laughs> that are uh, massive films, there'll still only be two or three that really get picked by people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd imagine, but I don't know. Absolutely agreed. But see, G- G- there's always um, going to be that factor because June, I was, from, from the trailer, I was really, I'm really hyped to see that, and I certainly will be. But you'd much rather see it in a cinema, wouldn't you, if you could? It's one mm. of those films. Mm. Well, I think um, with a lot of these films, um, like Clive said, that they are going to suffer as a result. And... I know Mark Kermode has long been of the opinion that simultaneous release um, is inevitable anyway. So you may have a future where these movies do get a cinematic release and a streaming mm-hmm. release, or maybe not a, a streaming service release, but a, a, a rental release at the same time. Um, now, that'll probably mean that we won't yeah. have as many cinemas, um, but but the theory goes that we'll always have a desire for them. And I, I know I, I only speak for myself and I am a film fanatic and a cinema fanatic. I will always pre- prefer going to the cinema, even if it is a, you know, basically just a popcorn and sweet shop on, you it's know, bas- films. It's basically it. the same. Th- um, Sorry. It's basically the same home. thing as um, the idea that in future, you know, physical music releases could just be a niche, a niche product that are released through an artist's website or whatever, or the label. Uh, rather than en masse like they have been in the past. It's basically the same thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, it, it would be, to me, it would be more comparable with um, artists not, you know, performing concerts anymore. What oh, do you think? Do you think, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I suppose the difference there is that a live performance is different to the thing, whereas the thing you're watching at home is literally the same thing. It's just in a different format or a yeah. different different place. They can't really be They can't really be compared directly, I think, those bits, although I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah. well, I, I, I would I would argue that the experience of seeing a film at the cinema is almost a different experience entirely, though, especially in in the, in the age of kind of smartphones. Um, I, or at least, at least is at least. I definitely think yeah, it yeah. is. I definitely think it is. However, I think the jump between studio music and live music is bigger than that jump. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could accept that. Um, but it's going to be an interesting future for cinema. I think. Um, Ultimately, I do think there will be a redu- reduction in the amount of cinemas, mm-hmm. um, and I, but I don't necessarily think they'll only be showing blockbusters, which seems to be the presumption on some people's parts, because I still think there is an appetite for um, intelligent cinema in Plus the cinema. It's, it's likely um, that the people who would still be going to cinemas would be people who want to see both, I would have thought. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, it You know, this. I mean... Pandemic has hit everything extremely hard, obviously, but um, uh, you know, cinemas have suffered quite a lot. I mean, I've made no secret on this podcast before that um, I've got a Cineworld card where I pay a monthly fee. Uh, well, not at the minute, um, and I can see as many films as I like. And Ma- Michael's had one in the past as well. Um, 
I've got to say, I'm actually kind of questioning that when the cinema comes back anyway. Um, after news that uh, Cineworld are paying out £35 million worth of bonuses to their executives uh, while closing down their cinemas, uh, and not, not even having furloughed staff. Um, but, that you know, there we go. Capitalism. Magical. We'll be discussing that later. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a... I think I cancelled it just before um, all this stuff went down, but I had a similar ticket to similar card for the light because um, that's the one in Sheffield that's closest to me. Don't know about their business practices yet, but was definitely thinking of retaking that up when uh, <laughs> when stuff does start coming out because that's the one we always go to. But um, we'll see. But I do think um, I agree with Michael. I think and the light isn't one of those really. I think the independent there's always going to be room for at least. You'd hope. I certainly imagine in Sheffield at least one independent cinema will survive um, just because I think there is a big enough audience for people who want to go and see foreign films and more art house stuff in the cinema. Um, I think even if they did have it available at home. I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure there's a market for that. Um, no, I, 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 I'm of the same opinion. But I think it would it would probably largely depend where. It would have to be a big enough city for sure, and there would definitely be less. I think that's just inevitable because... Even people who are massive fans are going to now, instead of maybe going to see all four in the cinema, might choose to watch one at home uh, because it's convenient at some point. And then that's, you know, a quarter of your income gone <laughs> if, if everyone does that. Um, so it's inevitably going to hit things. But anyway, let's um, let's crack on with our lists. Um, before we start, I'll just mention why I haven't uh, try, I haven't got a list, basically, because I've not seen enough films. So I've probably seen about... I've not even thought about how many i have seen but i imagine it's about four or five because i saw quite a few jan to march and then didn't really watch anything since um mainly because i do like to watch new stuff the way i normally do it is i watch lots of stuff in the cinema and then november december i catch up on stuff that i've missed uh, by watching it at home rental or whatever this time i just haven't <laughs> watched as much in the cinema because it's been shot and I didn't really have that catch-up time just because I've been mainly, I guess, uh, like writing music and focused on that kind of stuff. And I just haven't... I think a big part of it is uh, my job and I guess a lot of our jobs at the minute. Um, I'm working from home, so I just stare at a screen all day uh, on my own, have limited <laughs> limited will to then sit and stare at a screen some more on my own uh, and watch film. So if I am watching something, it'll usually be with Elle and it'll usually be like a TV show rather than a film. And if I'm doing something on my own, it'll usually not involve a screen. Or if it does involve a screen, be mixing music or something, um, which feels at least a little bit different or I don't know. It's all personal, isn't it? But I think uh, I think the pandemic's obviously led to a lot, of ch a change in a lot of people's personal habits, and that's mine. And I expect it'll return to normal <laughs> when things return to normal. But but who knows? Um, but anyway, that's why I haven't got a list. But I do hope that I've seen one or two of the things that you talk about, so that I can. Um, Pitch in with some comments, but let's get things going and let's start with Al. Do you want to give us your number five? Okay. Yes. Okay, so number five is a film that was not released in the cinema. In fact, it was one of the few big releases that made the decision um, to forgo the cinema full stop and go not straight to rental, but straight to a streaming platform, uh, which is quite a strange decision considering... Um, the market forces. Uh, I'm going to talk about Soul, uh, the latest Pixar film, uh, directed by Pete Docter, who people may not know of personally, but he's responsible for Inside Out and Up, uh, two other Pixar movies, written by Doctor uh, Mike Jones and Kent Powers, with cinematography by Matt Asprey and Ian uh, McGibbon. 
Uh, music, interestingly enough, by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste. Um, starring Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Angela Bassett, Richard Ayoade, and, curiously, Graham Norton. Um, anyone who's familiar with Inside Out um, will know that Pixar are not afraid of taking deep uh, philosophical concepts and candy floss, candy floss sheen of a children's animation. Um, this is essentially an, an existential crisis film masquerading uh, as a ch- children's animation, uh, which is kind of classic Pixar fare. Um, I didn't do a review of this on the show, and I'm not going to do a full review now. We don't have time for, for that. But uh, essentially, the plot revolves around a middle-aged jazz musician whose main job is teaching music in a elementary school. Um, at the last minute, he's invited to gig for a very famous jazz singer, Jazz Not Soul, despite the title. Um, having got the gig, he accidentally falls down a manhole and dies. He goes to a place called the, the Great Before, um, which is essentially where souls are born and taught basic facts before they become life. Now, he gets there by accident. He's supposed to go to the Great Beyond, essentially a, an afterlife as such. Um, and it's about his basically desire to get back to Earth and his uh, teaching of a young soul who has not yet been to Earth. Uh, if that sounds confusing, it's not when you watch it. Um, it's a, it acts as a really good companion piece to Inside Out. Uh, Inside Out obviously looks at our kind of emotional development and how perceived negative emotions like sadness are important to our overall well-being, uh, whereas Soul uh, takes more of a uh, introspective step and it looks at how the incidental parts of life, so for example, just enjoying um, a bowl of ice cream, enjoying a, uh, a picturesque view, um, are often quite just as important parts of our life as the big goals we set for ourselves. So, for example, the main character's big goal is to be a jazz musician. Um, this could have been about any subject. It didn't have to be about jazz, but jazz really works for this. And I'm, I'm no jazz expert. Michael will be able to chip in here, if not about the movie. But jazz is often, obviously, a, a music form of improvisation and adaptation uh, rather than it being purely composed. Although I know jazz music can be that way as well, which certainly is more reflective of the way we live our lives. Um, this is predictably brilliant. Um, you know, Pixar have had a few duds in their time, um, but generally speaking, when they get it right, they get it really right. And this is every bit as good as it was supposed to be. Yeah, great. Um, I've seen this is first one in, and it's one I've seen. Magic. Um, yeah, I saw Soul a when it were a couple of months back. Doesn't feel like that long ago. Um, agree with everything you've said, Al. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thought it was really great. I'm big Pixar fan here, obviously. Um, like you say, they have done a few duds, but this isn't one of them. And I really appreciated the message, which was a bit similar to um, uh, one that I got from my number one album, um, Microphones in 2020 of. When you kind of get to that thing, you've, you usually have this sort of dream in your head. <laughs> but the sad reality is probably when you get to it, you'll probably, you know, after a few days, feel exactly the same as you did um, beforehand. Um, and I think that can, some people be a bit sad, but to me that's pretty, I don't know, um, pretty freeing because it's that knowledge of like, well, you're probably not going to feel necessarily any better than you do at the minute. So make the most <laughs> and stuff at the minute uh, and i think that's kind of the message that it has and i think it conveys that really well um i thought 
there was really good characters obviously love the music big jazz fan um i thought that was really well done um i thought it was cool that they did they chose jazz as opposed to i think they could have chosen lots of other things um and i i liked the sort of um the different in difference in animation styles uh, or at least the way it looked, maybe not the animations themselves, um, of the two different worlds uh, and how distinct they were. And I thought the like the before is it the the great the before, before great before uh, was like really well really well designed. It was quite odd uh, and it took a bit of getting used to, but actually um, I thought it was really great and really conveyed that like otherworldly, slightly weird, really really well and was quite different to uh, some other stuff Pixar's done as well. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Michael, I know you haven't seen this, but um, would it be a, t- a tempter for you? I know you don't normally watch that many animations. Yeah, definitely. Just because of the uh, obviously the music involved and the mention of Inside Out should be enough usually, because uh, mm-hmm. that's a splendid film. Um, and I think jazz really needs. Uh, I have to say, as someone who likes jazz, it needs rebooting through some modern mediums for sure. So I think that's always welcome. Mm-hmm. I mean. I was surprised. I only found out afterwards that Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor did the soundtrack as well. Um, they d- diversified their uh, their film score catalogue. Um, an interesting choice in this, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't expecting to hear their names mentioned on this, um, but they've been yeah they've really been going at it with the film scores in recent years. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Excellent. Um, yeah, I didn't realise they'd done the score, and I thought it was really good. So yeah, impressed. Great. Um, Right, let's move on to your number five, Michael. See what you've got for us. Yep, so I've got a film that's already been mentioned today earlier. Um, I should say before I jump into this that I definitely watched a lot less films this year than uh, previously, or new releases at least. Um, But nonetheless, I did see more films than are on my list, and uh, these are all five films that I love. Uh, I don't know if this film would have squeezed in in a normal year, but uh, certainly it does this year, and I am a big fan of it. So it's uh, it's Tenet, the latest Christopher Nolan film. Um, we did discuss it a lot on the podcast because it was one of the few new releases that um, that I'd seen and Alex had seen um, when it came out in the summer. And it's um, it basically, as a huge Nolan fan anyway, basically carries a lot of the traits and characteristics of his films uh, right to their logical end point, I think, um, unless he's able to push them further. Uh, it's a pretty dense, in terms of narrative and storyline, it's pretty complicated. And I think that's that's been universally accepted, which isn't always. Sometimes people will interpret a film that way, other people won't agree. Uh, I think people accept that generally, not just for a, a Hollywood movie, but uh, generally this is, um, you know, this is... This is uh, he- quite head spinning at times. There's one scene in the middle of the film where um, you have uh, time simultaneously moving backwards and forwards, and I think that's the scene where you first realise that uh, you know you're deep in it with this film, um, and it it is it requ- it really requires repeat viewings because it demands them essentially because it's uh, at that point you realise that it's it's not going to be easy to follow or figure out exactly what's going on. Um, I think I mentioned before the film basically has a sort of spiral design that all comes together at the end. Again, um, far from atypical of of Nolan's films, a few of them are like that, but this one to an even greater extent. Um, And what I loved about this film was I think it it came along at exactly the time we needed it. The cinemas weren't open for very long, obviously, um, but 
you know, a huge blockbuster film with massive action sequences, um, you know, genuine thrills, and just just the the score when it when it opens, uh, just some the opening moments of the film, uh, the first the first sequence, um, is just. I mean, the, the, just the sound of it. Uh, it's if, unless you experience that in a cinema, you it's you don't quite get the, the same experience as you do watching it at home, as we were just discussing. Um, so everything about this is, um, you know, is huge. It's over the top, and uh, that was exactly what appealed to me this summer when uh, when I felt like that's what we really needed. Um, the acting is good. Um, I think Elizabeth Debicki really has the uh, the breakout performance of the film. Uh, certainly, in terms of uh, sort of major recognition, um, I don't think she was quite as widely known as she presumably is after this movie. And I think I also also the um, well, just some of the some of the themes, as I say, are very much in line with what Nolan usually dabbles in. Uh, there's as I, as I just referred to a moment ago, there's a, he- a heavy focus on time, uh, but. It's never been done. I think this is where Nolan's really dived into it. This has clearly been a film that he's been working on for many years, as he said himself. Uh, and touches of it resonate throughout all of the material that he's he's put out, really. Um, so it, it would be diff- difficult to see how you would continue to pursue the theme even further, as I say, after this. But Nolan often surprises. Uh, but I guess, in, in, the, in a sense... This wasn't a surprise, this film. Uh, the most surprising thing about it is probably just, as I said, the density of it. And on that, the only other thing I would say is that, you know, I love I love narratives and uh, really well-plotted storylines as much as the next person. And ironically, I think this is, I think this is that. Uh, and I think if you pick this apart, as I'm sure people are doing in certain corners of the internet, um, that I'm, I'm certain it stands up. To scrutiny, just because of the um, you know the effort that Nolan always puts into that sort of that element of writing, uh, but at the same time, I think structure can be a bit overrated by a lot of film watchers, and I think you know we, we I men- I've mentioned before when when we talk about this film, the, the line in the film, um, "Don't try to understand it, feel it," is really key to the entire ethos of this movie, uh, and if you just let it wash over you, I think that's really the key. And it shows us a lot about the beauty of uh, of big budget filmmaking if you do that. Um, interesting, yeah. I've I've seen this one as well, but I'll go to Al first because I know you've seen it. Al, do you want to give us your comments? Uh, yeah. Um, so I first of all, I should say that um, I love seeing this at the cinema. Um, like Michael said, this is one of the very few films um, we've been able to see at the cinema since uh, COVID has reared its ugly head. Uh, the other for me being Baby Teeth, uh, which I also enjoyed. Um, I liked Tenet a lot. Um, I thought it was very much a quintessential uh, cinema experience in terms of the grand scale, the the visual style, uh, the inventiveness of the, the sound design. Um, I did think it was ultimately, the more I think about it, slightly disappointing. However, I am absolutely willing to put on record that I feel it needs a second watch for me to fully form an opinion, which I haven't had yet. Um, I'm always tempted to watch it on the small screen, but really I should have caught it for a second time on the big screen. Um, I think this is a film that um, took kind of... This is for me almost what God Only God Forgives was um, to uh, drive. It was kind of a taking of a 
fundamental theme to the nth level. And although I enjoyed it, I'm not sure entirely what my full opinion on it is. Um, ultimately, the, though, I had a great experience at the cinema. This may be one that goes up in my list of Nolan films. Right now, I'd put it in the midpoint. Um, and I know it sounds like I'm being a downer on it. I'm not. I did enjoy it. But it could be one of his best films. But that wasn't. it, it isn't immediately apparent on first watch just because of how dense it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think taking it to the nth is a is a good description. And the other side of the coin to what I said about it in that regard is that is obviously I think for some people it was a Nolan film too far. Yeah. Um obviously you're undecided on that yet. But I'm I'm talking about it from the mm-hmm. from the position of having seen it three times. Uh so I guess it does it does definitely need to be redigested, I think, a couple of times. Uh because there's obviously a lot involved in it mm-hmm. that'll jump out and start to click together. Uh, that mm-hmm. you don't necessarily pick up the first time, and it is it is just that is just the reality with this film, um, and I think everyone who I as I said everyone who sees it will agree. Um, the mo- most of all, I mean, I don't know how mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan persuaded executives to give him however many hundred million dollars to make this. I do. It's because he's Christopher. <laughs> Nolan. Yeah, I mean, even when you come, even when you compare it to Basically something like Interstellar, which was you know on on some levels just as dense. Um, you know, <laughs> it's nothing like this. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think the film, and t- touching upon um, what we mentioned about performances earlier, I think the f- film performed fairly well, but nowhere near, obviously, as well as it would have uh, in normal circumstances. Uh, the, I know the, from the early noises that the studio were pretty happy with its performance. I don't know what the My, my guess was. is that they'd be happy if it came close to making its money back. And that they'll they'll hope to make a, at least a modest profit in the uh, the rental and streaming market. Um, I think you know they're going to have to accept that they won't get what they normally would. Um, and you know they'll they'll just be hoping that it isn't a total waste of money, which I, I don't think it will be from from what you've said and what I've read. No, I don't think so. I think it has made a loss, but. Um... Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was probably inevitable. What were your thoughts on this, Clive? I, I, well, I, I know what your general thoughts were from the last time we spoke, but what are your thoughts right now? Um, <laughs> I, I, I really liked Tenet. Um, I'm in your camp, um, Al, that I wanted to see it a second time because I can't remember a Christopher Nolan film that I... I mean, I, I liked them all in the first view, but I always they always they're always growers, uh, which is unusual for me with films because uh, I'm not a person who generally rewatches films um, or likes to rewatch films really, but. This uh, Christopher Nolan is definitely an exception, and I think when I rewatch this again, it will rise further up. Even though I did enjoy it, and I think that's a big part because I think Michael made the good point of letting it wash over you and being a bit less bothered about making sense of it. Almost in a way, absorbing it a bit more like an album, which might sound weird, but <laughs> I don't necessarily listen to an album going, "Oh, I want to understand exactly what's going on mm-hmm. in every song." Um, watching it more from that perspective. Um, I, uh, helped me enjoy it and not there was definitely scenes and I think it's particularly the one that Michael mentioned where there was like three things uh, moving backwards and forwards in time over a very short time like as a building blows up uh, and I was just like I don't really know what's going on but I was just kind of like well it doesn't really matter um, I trust that it makes some level of sense because Christopher Nolan's done it and I think that's the bit that if I watched it another two times and still thought it's a bit nonsense uh, then I might <laughs> have a negative opinion but i'm pretty sure that's not going to be the case um, i'm pretty sure if you watch it two or three times you'll see things will click together more and you'll start to get things a bit more but yeah the action sequences were great it was 
I'm just, yeah, I agree with you two that it was so glad it came out in that gap. It was the only film I saw in that gap and I really enjoyed it. It was a little bit of a uh, going back to normality for a little bit, which was nice. And it was, yeah, the perfect film for that um, because it is very much a cinema film. So I can understand why you've not watched it a second time, Al, yet at home because I haven't either for similar reasons. I wish I'd seen it another time in the cinema. Um, and I wonder, I'd, I suspect it might get put out again somewhere <laughs> delayed i know uh cineworld sometimes does like the bigger films again later on for like cheaper so maybe they'll do that but i was just thinking that i was wondering if there is a grand reopening will they sort of try to put it back out there um might be possible uh, uh, yeah uh, that sounds very plausible uh, one thing i d- did want to mention just before we moved on i've seen it written that um given comparisons mm. to the Matrix sequels with Tenet, and I'd like to defend it against that in the sense that the Matrix sequels take grand concepts and talk at you about them, whereas Tenet takes more of the approach of the original Matrix and visually shows these concepts. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're understandable, um, but it is still a film uh, made like a film, not like a you know badly... C- choreographed um lecture which is what the matrix sequels were um i will not ha- i will not have that to put to put it more uh, concisely there's no orgasm inducing cake intended <laughs> this is true um now you're making me want to watch the one um, thing it was missing <laughs> watch the matrix sequels <laughs> i hate them that's my and i've said this on the podcast again years ago but that's my um that's my alternative to jumping the shark, eating the orgasm cake. <laughs> well, jump, jumping the shark was a, was always a TV thing anyway, so you know, eating the orgasm cake True, can yeah. be the the film equivalent. <laughs> you need to think of it. Let's go. You with need it. to think of an album based one mm. as well. Um, okay, I'll that's a good. Uh, that's a good point. Before. There definitely will be some sort of band that had a great well, run and then went shit. Basic, I think it it needs to be where a musician or a group has a certain style and they take it too far. And it becomes okay. just laughable almost. But it needs it kind of <laughs> needs to have been great first, though. Mm. So I'm, this might there's be quite but, niche. But. What about... I, I don't know off the top of my head, but there's definitely no shortage of contenders okay. for that in music. I'd be interested, yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm trying to think of ones that like dropped off a cliff a bit. And I was thinking, having had a really, really good run, I was thinking Led Zeppelin, but I don't I have not listened to anything post their good stuff, so I don't know. I don't, uh, none of their stuff Does really not drops completely off, drop off, I mean, one that jumped... One that jumped straight to mind, even though I like it, um, was Be Here Now, which is the most preposterous album, like after the f- brilliance of the first two Oasis albums. Yeah. Uh, it's just completely powered by c- cocaine. Um, well, I'll try I'll try to think of a, of a nice little phrase for a musical. <laughs> Great. Uh, we'll have that for you. You'll have that for you next time, just to put pressure on him. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, so far, two of two I've seen, which is magic. Um, Al, give us your number four. This will just be a brief one because I talked about this, uh, not the last podcast, but I think the podcast before. Uh, So number four for me was Lubbers Rock, the second in the Small Axe film series that was shown on BBC One. Um, This was never going to get a cinematic release as far as I understand. Um, So I know there's certain arguments that this counts as TV rather than cinema, but for me, this is still still a movie and this would have looked great on the big screen as well. Directed by Steve McQueen, um, better known for things like uh, 12 Years a Slave, Shame, Widows more recently. Uh, written by himself in Caution Newland. 
Uh, cinematography by Xavier Kirchner. Uh, music, quite interestingly, by uh, Mika Levy. Does that name ring a bell to you, Michael? Yeah, it rings a bell. Don't really know um, much, though. Done a few film scores, most famously Under the Skin, which uh, for me is one of the best okay. film scores in recent times. Um, and I think the, the music is one is a particular element to note in this one. Um, I think I mentioned last time, it's kind of like a a vaguely narrative one-hour music video. Um, quite a visceral portrayal of black joy and relatively untainted by suffering. Um, we said it before that it's a shame that when you get a stories of black culture in Western culture, often it's about some huge racist incident, some great injustice. And those films are important to educate, but you know it's good to just see um, part of black culture, particularly black culture in a time of oppression uh, that is purely joyful. Um, you know, uh, five, six people focusing in on a house party. Uh, really intimate cinematography. Um, you know, you, you're really part of the dancing, really part of the scene. You can feel the walls sweating. Um, now, I think I said this last time, but it's a timely reminder of what we've, we've all missed during lockdown, uh, be it a house party or a, you know, a nightclub. Um, you know, warm bodies, um, you know, pumping music. I said this to you last week, Michael, I could go out quite happily and I don't care if every other song is Mr. Brightside. I'll be belting out the lyrics every time. I, I just can't <laughs> wait until that's possible again. Um, and I, I think we need to test that out once it is. <laughs> um, yeah. Every other song, just to keep it slightly. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I love this. Now, I, th- I think both of you, I mean, both of you, I feel confident saying would enjoy all of still Steve McQueen's films. I know you've probably seen most of them, but um, this one, I think, as music lovers, you would really get, um, particularly if your expectations are set right from the start. Um, this is very different to any other film on my list here, and it was very different as a viewing experience. I've watched all of the Small Act series now, and they're all brilliant. Um, and there are other films that you could probably compare on the same kind of level of quality. But for me, this was different to anything I've seen before, so um, that's why I think it, it deserves to be in the top five. Well, this sounds... Sorry, Michael, go so on. I might as well say now um, I've got this at number three. So... Oh, so I have seen this now. Uh, this is the un- conversely, this is the only one of the ex- of the small act series that I've seen so far. Um, but obviously, it jumped out to me from the description uh, and other hype that I've seen for it. So I went to watch it. Um, obviously, from my ranking, I completely agree with everything you've said. Uh, it's quite a unique film. Uh, it's rapturous. It's got a certain religiosity to it. Um, a euphoria, I think, um, really is the word I would use. Uh, like you said, uh, it's it's excellent to see um, an all black cast, pretty, uh, almost almost uh, completely black cast. Um, it really it really zooms in on a moment. Uh, like you were saying, it's not some it's not some grand scheme uh, or some historical incident, and uh, that makes it very intimate. And it's obviously it's filmed in a highly intimate way. Um, Scenes like the one where the singing continues for quite a while after the song ends or where a song is repeatedly demanded and it sort of devolves into a mosh pit uh, are incredible things to watch. Uh, it's basically feel good um, and you sort of find your way gro- mm-hmm. find yourself grooving your way through it. Um, obviously, this is a soundtrack I would certainly invest in um, because it, it's, uh, it's very memorable once you've seen the film in, in particular. And I like the way that there are some brief cutaways where... 
um, where sort of a negative energy is introduced in various ways to the party. But then you also see some of the ways in which that sort of energy can be subsumed uh, back into the atmosphere, and I found that very interesting. I thought it was a very, uh, very accurate portrayal of the ebbs and flows of a house party. And um, and like you said, the resonance of it um, when we haven't, none of us have been able to do this for. Uh, well, some people have done it anyway, but a lot of us have not been able to do this for uh, for so long. Um, it, it's obviously very relevant. So uh, it's a very affecting film in all of those ways, and that's why I've ranked it so highly. And I think period pieces are always safe in McQueen's hands because there's such an eye for detail. Um, and even though it's not like anything else that I've seen from him, uh, which is basically just his major films, uh, I think it still has his fingerprints on it. This is um when you I remember when you talked about this Al that I really really wanted to watch it and that and you've just <laughs> both made me want to really really watch it even more because it sounds completely up my street so this is definitely going to be the first one of the small act series I'll watch and I'll try and uh, watch it soon probably in March once February album writing month is done but it yeah sounds superb and that's the other thing about it as well it's a short watch so uh, mm. even though it's immersive mm-hmm. um it it doesn't take long to to get through there's no fat on it at all. Yeah, well, it all of the all of the small act series are uh, around an hour long, a little bit over, with the exception of Mangrove. So Mangrove is the only one which is a two hour movie. Um, but yeah, they're all they're all pretty short watches. Also, there's this this another thing as well as the rhythms of the music as well. This film's packed with patois, and uh, it makes it really exhilarating to to watch. I think dialogue wise, even though the dialogue is by yeah. far, but it's certainly not central. The music is the central element. Uh, but I thought that was another that was another mm. bonus of it. Interesting, yeah. This if everything you say about it, I'm just like, yes, I really want to watch this. So yeah, you <laughs> like it, sure definitely enjoy this one. Yeah, I need to make sure I uh, get around to doing that. Um, right. So, well, we've just given us your number three, Michael. But to keep things in order, do you want to give us your number four? Yeah. So at number four, I've got a film that I was um, I was really intrigued to see once I found out about it, which was a streaming release um, and that I saw on streaming. It's Borat's subsequent movie film. So the first Borat film is definitely one of my favourite films of all time. I think it's a work of art and uh, the peak of everything Sasha Baron Cohen's done, really. Uh, So for that reason, obviously, I had some trepidation about this one. Um, And especially after seeing the trailer as well, I really wasn't sure how this was going to work, obviously, with the fact that the Borat character is so well-known. And um, that's basically circumvented via disguise. Uh, but the real ace in the hall is um, the Bulgarian actress Maria Bakalova, who is a revelation in this film, uh, playing Borat's daughter. That adds a whole extra edge to the film. Uh, it introduces much more keenly than the previous film did uh, themes of um, feminism, women's rights, femininity, uh, specifically in America, but more widely, obviously, as well. Um much like the first film, uh, the film explores American society rather deeply. Uh, it does that through a series of set pieces. What I find is, with this film, there is a bit less certainty, I think, about what is authentic and what isn't compared to the first, but from what I understand, majority of the film is um, you know, is authentic, a realistic portrayal of what occurred, and rather than scripted. And... Um, yeah, it's uh, there's no shortage of laughs throughout, um, and that's always twinned with the fact that the film is uh, is turning a spotlight on uh, on some of the developments in America that I think when you watch the first film you can see some seeds for that, 
uh, but they've certainly developed into something um, much more worrying in the years since. So this was a very timely film, and I think Baron Cohen has spoke, spoken himself about how uh, you know he dusted off the Borat character for that specific reason. He made this film for a purpose, and it was to look at Trump's America. I think there's there's some very unusual. I mean, there's there's some there's some scenes that to me will be will be borderline iconic in this film. But there's also there's a very unusual scenes. There's there's one extended um, section where during when when lockdown occurs in the middle of the film, Borat stays with some sort of sort of arch, archetypal Republican characters. Um, but this is where the film, you know, it becomes it becomes weirdly hazy. I think uh, moments like this because even though they're they're sort of, the views they express. I mean, this is where it becomes hard to see what's scripted and what isn't. But the views they express are, um, you know, they're clearly not averse to conspiracist thinking. But at the same time, they express, um, you know, a valuing of science and women's rights. And I think, much like much like some of the uh, the first film did, it it turns a lot of expectations on its head. And even on the, and I think even though it shows an America that has a lot of trouble, it shows one that's salvageable. That's the way I interpret it. Um, and I don't, I never think, I don't, I don't think America comes off as badly as uh, as some people would say after the first film. Um, you know, I think it shows that people do actually, people are generally, and this is the same experience I have of America. People are generally very friendly, um, and they are open to people. But it's, I don't know, it becomes at the political level where things become uh, more sharply divided, I think. And I think that's one of the things that these films, and this certainly this one as well, really bring out. What I think is, uh, what's, when I think about this film, this new film, what's spectacular to me is uh, the end set piece, which is a setup of uh, Rudy Giuliani, who is obviously a grotesque goblin of a person. Um, and... I just think it must. I can't even imagine how exhilarating it must be for the actors and uh, the crew involved in this film to set up a scenario like they do and come away with such gold. I mean, the media, the intense media interest in what happens with Giuliani at the end of this film. Um, you know, that's that's the money shot, really, isn't it? And to to come away from doing that that scene, knowing that you've got that in the bank for your film. I mean, I can't imagine a more of a, a white knuckle ride when it comes to filmmaking. Uh, and obviously Baron Cohen is used to that. But for a young, unknown actress uh, like Bakalova to be so central to that as well, um, you know, I just think that's that shows the great possibilities of filmmaking for me. Uh, I think this is... Re- I mean, I've, I've always been a Baron Cohen fan. There's some major ups and downs in his output. Um, but I think he's really solidified himself as one of my favourite filmmakers and comedians. And... Uh, and this film was, I think, I'd have to say, better than I was expecting. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm really thrilled about that, to be able to say that. And I think it's it's not the first film, but it it lives up to it in many senses and is worthy of its name, and I can't give it a bigger endorsement than that. So that's why I've got it. It makes it makes the top five, and that's why I've got it ranked so, so high there. Um, yeah, I've seen it. It's not in my top five, um, but I pretty much echo what you've said there, Michael. I really enjoyed it. It was pleasantly surprising that it more or less maintained the quality of the first film. Um, and I think, you, well, you've absolutely nailed the crucial point there. This wasn't just brought back for uh, money-making purposes. This was brought back for a purpose. I don't believe that um, Sasha Baron Cohen would have brought back Borat 
if there wasn't Trump. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, I, I think he would have let him rest, and I don't think he'll bring him back again, and I don't think he should either. Um, yeah, I you definitely know, think this, it was this a gamble, is, which paid off. Yeah, this is very much a, a film of its time, which is, honestly, I was so keen to watch this before the US election. It felt like watching it afterwards, while it'll still be very worthy, very mm-hmm. funny, after the fact that Trump's been defeated, I'm not sure it'll have the same impact, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's a, it's a snapshot, um, isn't I, it, of a moment. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. found it hilarious. Like you said, it can't quite match the original, but that was to be expected. Um, and I thought the star of the show was not uh, Baron Cohen. Um, now, offhand, because it's not on my list, not have the facts to hand, but the, the actress who plays his daughter, um, superb, uh, ball, you know, metaphorical balls of steel or... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, flaps of flint. I don't know. Oh, um, God. I don't know how you... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> wow. Know. Yeah, I mean, she was... From what I understand, she was selected from a pool of hundreds of, um, of you know, uh, potential young actresses, uh, which I think shows how difficult that process must have been. So um, uh, I think that that sums up the standard uh, that they obviously knew they had with her, and uh, the, film, the film tells that. So it, it shines through. No, I, I legitimately think she should be nominated for acting awards for that. I, th- I think she she has been. That is a very difficult thing. I to think do. she's been nominated for Golden Globes, but yeah, there was definitely people who who wanted her to be nominated for Oscars for that. Yep. No, inc- incredible. Um, Clive, Clive, have you seen this one? I haven't. No. Um, you've made me want to watch it though. I, w- I wanted to watch it when it came out, and then I just kind of forgot it existed. So, but I'll check this one out. I'm going to make a point of watching everything on uh, your two lists that I haven't seen. So <laughs> this will be added to the list. Sounds good. Um, it sounds pretty much like I'd expected, and I mean that in a good way. Um, so I definitely yeah. will be checking it out. Um, I think in the interest of keeping things in order, let's go, Al, do you want to give us your number three? Yeah, that would make sense, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, so my number three, I know for a fact, will turn up on Michael's list. Um uh, my number three is Uncut Gems, uh, which for most of the world was a 2019 release, mm. but for the UK it was a 2020 release. Um, directed by Josh and Benny Safdie, who are not remarkably well-known, but you may know for the film Good Time, um, starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, written by them and Ronald Bronstein. Cinematography by Darius Conji. Uh, apologies if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, starring Adam Sandler, Lakeith Sanfield, Julia Fox, Idina Menzel and Kevin Garnett playing himself. Um, I'm pretty sure we we reviewed this on the show, but um, to to describe this as relentless and anxiety driven is is an understatement. Um, This is a this is a film that will stress you out to watch. Um, I mean, this is this is a very deliberate style of filmmaking. It's shot often with handheld methods, um, overlapping dialogue. Characters using almost improvisational dialogue. Uh, Now, I have no idea if there is any improvisation or it's written that way, but it it creates an atmosphere of pure kind of fingers down the chalkboard. Um, You know, absolutely, oh, can I get out of this room with these people? Yet, you can't look away. Um, Sandler is is irritating best, and I mean that as an absolute compliment. Um, I I think he probably should have won awards for this performance. Um, we know he's got good performances in him. We've seen it before with Punch Drunk Love, um, but then we've seen his other output. Um, I love this. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a thriller of sorts about somebody making increasingly poor decisions 
to keep up with our other poor decisions. And um, it's a film I won't be jumping to look at again because of how stressful it is to watch, but I appreciate the artistry. Um, it's an outstanding piece of work. Um, the, another one I've seen, um, the, I, I love this and completely agree with everything you've said, Al. It's incredibly... I can't think of anything I've watched that's as anxiety-inducing as this. Um, and I mean that as a complete compliment. I think it nails what it's trying to do. Uh, Sandler is brilliant. I was completely sceptical going into it. Uh, everyone had said he was great. I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> he is great. <laughs> um, he's somehow perfect for the role. I can't really imagine anyone else doing it better. Um, and yeah, he's just definitely one that you don't... <laughs> It's not one you sit... I remember we watched it on a Sunday. We were like, let's chill and watch a film. And it absolutely was not a chilled experience. But it was still yeah, great. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for that reason, you're kind of like reluctant to go into it again, like you say. But I always love a film that makes you feel a certain way, um, even if maybe that feeling isn't necessarily pleasant. Um, and I think this absolutely nails that uh, from start to finish. And I think it's such a... <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really great. And I think if I thought about my favourite films, this would definitely come near the top of the ones I have seen, which I say isn't many, very many, uh, but I think even if I did watch quite a few, this would still end up near the top. I thought it was re- really, really good. Um, I was Everyone had told me it was really good, and I think when you go into a film like with that, you usually end up being a bit disappointed, and I totally wasn't, and I think that speaks for it. <laughs> well, keeping it in order, this is my number two. So, oh, amazing. Yeah, um, <laughs> this is... An outstanding film, definitely. I um, have to agree with a lot of what's been said. However, I'm not reluctant to jump back into it. I, I really want to watch this again. Oh, wow. Um, but it is it is majorly stressful, and uh, I think that's... They deserve a lot of credit, the Safety Brothers, for that. I don't know if it was written that way or directed. I assume it was both. Uh, but the, the way the dialogue is used to create that effect is really quite masterful. Uh, they just pile it on top of each other. And it's uh, the previous Safety Brothers film, Good Time, Robert Pattinson, is similar, but uh, that, the effect there is a lot less dialogue-based than it is in this film, I think. Uh, and when you put some of these acting personalities together, uh, when you blend them together in this film, it just seems to work uh, perfectly. Sandler is excellent, as has already been said. Uh, Kevin Garnett was surprisingly really good uh, and was acclaimed. I think some people acclaimed it as the best acting performance by a sports diver. Um, and I'm fascinated by the way they weave uh, what is, I mean, a good a good series, but not a particularly memorable one, I don't think, uh, that uh, the 2012 NBA playoffs, the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. I was deep into the NBA at that point. I remember watching that um, series. And it only really works here because it goes on for seven games, so it draws out. It's drawn out. But the way they just weave that into the narrative of this film is quite random but brilliant. Uh, so I really love that. Um, and similarly, although I th- when I first heard he was in it, I thought he was going to be doing more acting than he does. But um, the weekend, obviously, cameos in the film, and uh, in line with that, they take him back to his 2012 pre-Starboy era persona uh, with the hairstyle and everything. So there's some really interesting elements to the film in that sense. Uh, and obviously the whole thing crescendos very violently. And uh, there's there's one shot, there's one moment basically that happens there at the end that I'll never forget that is just the absolute payoff of all of the energy that's been building up to an almost unbearable point in this movie. Um, so I think this has really established the Safdie brothers now. 
uh, be interesting to see where where they go from here. I'm sure they're going to become an increasingly household name if they haven't already with this. Um, but this is, I mean, can't stress enough. If the field was weakened this year, um, then that doesn't that doesn't apply now that we get to the very top of my list because this and the subsequent film uh, are absolute classics. And I think um, with its sort of with its the obnoxious style of this film and the violence and uh, well violence verbal and otherwise, I think it will be one of the defining films of the Trump era. Yeah, never. I never really thought of it in the context of the Trump era, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, just the, just the you know, I mean this this is this is defined other eras as well, but just the you know just the, it, the film is driven by a you know an ugly pursuit of wealth, isn't it? Essentially, and uh, I think that's that's key to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the point I was going to make that you <laughs> reminded me of is, um, I, I, you know, I watched this at home um, on quite a small TV at the time. Uh, and it sucked me in then um and i think it's rare that that happens as much at home as it does in the cinema so i think that speaks for it as well um and i can imagine this would be this would be great in the cinema even though probably even more intense but um yeah i just found it i just thought that was i don't remember being that hooked by a film uh watching it at home as i had this film for for a very 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 long time so yeah no i definitely i definitely agree i watched it in the first week of lockdown i think um, and it, it made me excited about the possibility to watch more films during lockdown. So I think that says a lot. Um, and one one other thing I want to note, just because because uh, Alex mentioned him, is I bloody love Lakeith Stanfield, underrated actor. I think outstanding, isn't it? You know what? I am. Um, I was I was on Twitter the other day, and I came across uh, the scene where he's having a passive aggressive argument of compliments. <laughs> in, uh, I, sorry to yeah, bother that's you. That's amazing. Uh, which, uh. <laughs> That is so meme-worthy. Uh, I saw Josiah Johnson uh, use it a couple of weekends ago to say when Brady meets Rodgers at the NFC Championship game. I think that was it. I think that was where I saw it, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Um, right, let's uh, go to Al for your number two then, I think it makes the most sense. Yes, because we've had we've had it up to Michael's number two, yeah, haven't we? Yeah, and we can do the two okay. number ones. Um. There'll be probably no surprises with my number two and number one. Um, my number two, um, I had a bit of a, an odyssey to watch this, despite the fact it should have been easy. Um, this is the film Clemency, um, defected by Shinoi uh, Chukwu, uh, written by Shinoi Chukwu as well. Cinematography by Eric Branco, um, starring Alfred Broadard, Aldis Hodge, Wendell Pierce, uh, and Richard Schiff. People will remember that I, I love this film. Um I've always been fascinated by the concept of the death penalty. Um, just in case it's not obvious, I'm very much against it. This is kind of a procedural take on the death penalty, uh, written from the perspective of a warden who is not necessarily for the death penalty, but is a professional and values herself on how much dignity she gives to the people she's about to execute. Um, and it's basically about an unraveling of her faith in that system and um, a slow breaking down of her interpersonal relationships as a result. Um, I thought this is particularly fascinating in light of, um, I don't know if you saw the other day, the state of Virginia becoming the first um, southern state in America to ban the death penalty. Um, It needs to go past their governor first, but it has been voted for. Um, And to me, that looks like a a key signifier of... um, perhaps the long-term end of the death penalty or the, the start of the end in America. Um, 
we can hope so. Um, it, it's a re- really subtle and uh, quite needling performance by Alfre Woodard. Um, she's got a very kind of polished professional veneer and the cracks start sh- sl- uh, slowly appearing. Um, her mental well-being, while, you know, it's never destroyed, is it, you know, it is faltering. Um there's been there's been many kind of films and documentaries on the subject, and I think I think this is uh, is as as accurate as any. Um, our main um convict character played by Aldous Hodge, we're never really given too much indication of his guilt or not, and his guilt is not really important. Um, it, it is this would have been a harder film to uh, harder film to kind of take passionately for if the character had been a proven um child molester or um child murderer uh, but the po- the key point would be all the same um you know the death penalty is a barbaric um form of punishment that it is no deterrent there's there's no evidence of it and um this was a powerful, powerful portrayal of it. And just to give you anybody who hadn't listened to the previous episode, my odyssey to watch this uh, was trying to watch it through Curzon Home Cinema, <laughs> um, who fucked me around quite considerably, uh, but I got there in the end. Uh, yeah, I remember you talking about this at the time and me being very intrigued, and I still am. Uh, Michael, have you ended up watching this? I don't think at the time you had. No, from what I've heard about this, I think it's probably the biggest absence from my list in terms of films I've seen. I haven't, I haven't been able to see because uh, it sounds brilliant, um, and I would have liked to seen it. But I think <laughs> what Alex has described sums up part of the reason why I haven't. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely want to see this. Well, it, it, you know, it's um, like I said, I am morbidly fascinated by the topic, um, not because I enjoy the topic, but because it's it, to me it's such a an almost alien concept uh, because you know we haven't had that the death penalty in this country for um, however many years. Does anyone know offhand when we made it no, legal? It's decades, isn't it? So yep. yeah, um, but yeah, th- this this is as good as anything I've seen on the subject, and um, a really promising um, debut feature as well by Shinai Shukwu. One to watch. Excellent. Um, exciting times because we're down to number one. Um, let's flip over to you, Michael, to give us your number one first. Oh, isn't it? Is number two first? No, because no, your number, number two was Uncut Gems, yeah. right? Ah, oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. I, uh, I've, cool. My research has just informed me that uh, it was 1965, by the way, that the death penalty was abolished. Wow. Although it survived, <laughs> it survived in Northern Ireland until 73. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, I thought then, Michael, you were just about to say that your research has made you realise that the film you're going to talk about came out in 1965. And I was like, well, not sure we can... Out by a few years. (laughs) Well, I don't know what you make of this. I hope this is okay, but I'm actually going to ask that you let Alex talk about his number one first because I know it's going to be the same as mine and I think he's going to do so more eloquently and then I'll follow up. Oh, that is... (laughs) Oh, that is some serious pressure from Michael Johnson of all <laughs> people. Well, as well. No, I think you you've been prepared with all the cinematography, the script writers, so I think you're going to do it more justice than I am. I mean, this is a big compliment, Michael, but it's it's a bit like um, Michael Jordan asking me to take a free Blo- throw. Bloody um, hell! <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, Quite the compliment. But I, well, I definitely have lots of information lined up. Uh, number one, and Michael's number one as well is unsurprisingly Parasite, a film that, you know, it kind of, when you think about it, it feels like it came out decades ago. Um, 
Directed by Bong Joon-ho, written by Bong Joon-ho and Han Jin-won. Uh, cinematography by Hong Kyung-pyo. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong. Um, now, I'm going to mention all of the cast, even though these names won't necessarily mean everything, because it's such a powerful ensemble cast, I feel it needs to be known. Uh, starring, and I'm, I'm rather than give the character names to anyone who's seen it, I'm going to give brief descriptors. Uh, starring Song Kang-ho, Poor Father. Uh, Lee Sun Kyung, Rich Father. Uh, Cho Yo Young, Rich Mother. Choi Woo Shik, Poor Son. Uh, Park So Dam, Poor Daughter. Lee Jung Young, uh, Housekeeper. And Jang Hai Jin, Poor Mother. There are a few others as well. Um, this is an incredible uh, piece of satire. Um, and a kind of a, a satirical piece on, the, in my opinion, the workplace culture. Um, and obviously this is written from a, a South Korean perspective, but th- this could be about anywhere in the world. Um, it, it's kind of about what we as an audience feel is a parasitical relationship and what we don't. And I think your initial take on this, if you've watched it and not read anything in advance, will give quite an indication of how much you understand the current uh, labor market and uh, the system we live under. Um this is a classic of of Korean cinema in the sense it's full of narrative surprise. It's totally unafraid to make the audience uncomfortable. Um, and it's totally unafraid to take a left field turn. Um, but it never feels unearned. Um, it, I think what I love most about Korean cinema in general is that it often feels so alien to Western audiences. So I don't know if that, if, if this actually has the same impact on a Korean audience as it would a Western audience, which may sound odd, but um, I've, I've just got that feeling. Um, th- th- this is a superbly shot piece of work as well. Um, I said full full credit to the cinematographer Hyung, uh, Kyung-pyo, um, captures a beautiful vista of um, kind of suburbia and squalor. Um, this actually has a black and white version, um, which you can uh, see on, I believe it's Amazon Prime at the minute as well. And it, that's a version I'm interested to see. Um, Bong Joon-ho in interviews has described it as a version to see more clearly um, the differences in lifestyles, the differences in um, circumstances. Um, ultimately, this film is incredibly entertaining, um, funny, um, action-packed. Um, and honestly, I've... I don't think I've had more fun in a cinema than watching this, while also feeling that I was having my intellect massage. Um, surprisingly, the Oscars got this absolutely spot on when it won both Best International Picture and Best Picture. Um, I genuinely think this is a work of genius, uh, and I wouldn't say that. I don't say that lightly. I think Bong Joon-ho is one of the best directors working today, and if he re- if he makes anything better than this... Wow, that's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, you've said it all, but it's it's. Um, I mean, it, the fact that the fact that we we've both got this at number one, and it doesn't feel unusual that we've got a foreign language film at number one, tells you everything about the significance of this film. Obviously, tying to the Oscars and other ceremonies uh, last year, and um, the everything about the film is basically incredible. Like you were saying, the acting is, even though it's hard sometimes to judge that when it's in another language. Obviously, it clearly is. Um, Thematically, it's literally an upstairs, downstairs style 
Uh, I mean, it's basically a, a romper farce at times. Uh, it's so entertaining to watch while making these serious, you know, these high-minded points um, about about society and the way we live um, in capitalist cultures. Uh, and I know Bong is on record as saying that uh, all great, all of his films really are about um, are about capitalism. And I think you can extend, you could arguably extend that to all great stories in general, especially in a system where it's so hard to imagine any alternative. All great stories do become about capitalism, really thematically. Um, and you, I mean, like you've just touched upon there, Alex, saying, it, you know, how can he make something better? Uh, he is obviously an absolute master of his craft at this point, uh, but there have been a lot of points where people, you know, might have tried to predict the peak of Korean cinema. Uh, I mean, joint security area way back, which turned out just to be the dawn of of, uh, of Korean cinema, really. And then previous Bong films, Memories of Murder and the Host. Uh, it just keeps getting ramped up, um, it seems like. Uh, and I know there's plenty of Korean cinema I haven't explored, but it seems like it's difficult to envision how this won't, with the recognition it's had internationally, won't be the absolute you know mountaintop of Korean cinema. Uh, or certainly for many years, and, and that's the sort of that's the sort of quality that you're dealing with. Um, and I didn't know about the black and white version. That's interesting. Like it's uh, especially the comments that you said um, he made about it himself. It's kind of like it's kind of like remixing the film, even though it isn't. Uh, can this is a random one, but it reminds me of uh, Kendrick Lamar re-releasing his last album in reverse tracklist order. It gives you a different perspective on mm. it, uh, which is very interesting. I think. Uh, even though I don't think I would have particularly gone out of my way until I heard those comments to want to see it in black and white because it looks uh, it looks gorgeous. Um, but obviously, it's really what's really interesting, of course, is how the psychogeography of the city in the film uh, ties into the characters' circumstances and the way they end up behaving. Uh, and it all builds to an unforgettable ending, uh, and the whole thing is just so engaging and entertaining. And uh, yeah. You say a work of genius, and I would not attempt to dispute that. This is this is obviously going to be remembered, and already is being called one of the finest films ever made, and that's why it's at number one for both of us. Wow! Did you see this one, Clive? <laughs> yeah, this is another one I've seen, and this would have been my number one. Um, but it's been so long that it, uh, I'm struggling to kind of put together many thoughts beyond what you guys have already said. Um, yeah, absolutely loved it at the time. I think I spoke. I think I reviewed it on the pod actually when it when I first watched it, but I can't remember. Or maybe we all did. I don't know. But um, yeah, great film. Just a brilliant critique. I remember being completely engrossed by it. Again, I watched it at home, which so it's impressive that that happened. Um, I'd love to have seen it in the cinema. Um, yeah, just a great, great film. It went. I watched it shortly after uh, Burning, another Korean film, which also was great. Uh, this is better. <laughs> Because this had a certain, um, it, it does fit, it just has that kind of masterpiece feel to it. Uh, like it's doing way more than just being a, a great film somehow. Um, which, yeah, I just thought it was fantastic. I need to watch it again to form some more, uh, to remind myself exactly why I thought it was so fantastic. But it was definitely would have been my number one. It's the the film at the time when I remember when I watched finished watching it, that was like, yeah, that's one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, and again, achieves... What it sets out to do, the best I've ever seen, which I think is the key thing I look out for <laughs> in a film, even if maybe that thing that I, it's setting out to do isn't something that I, I I enjoyed what it wanted to set out to do, but I can also enjoy films that set out to do stuff that maybe I don't agree with what they're setting out, if you know what I mean, or it's something that I wouldn't that necessarily wouldn't be up my street, what they're trying to do. But I think if it 
mm. if they achieve that then that's kind of what it's all about and if they achieve it in a way that's completely singular um like this does i can't think of anything else i've seen and it's probably because i've not seen much uh, korean cinema um but there's nothing i can compare to it it was just fantastic and like as you see kind of unpredictable lots of a I remember afterwards, it's one of those films that I thought about for days afterwards, trying to figure out what certain things meant. And how, I don't know, it's just super clever. And you read like different people's interpretations of things. Um, and I think when you can do that <laughs> about a film, that's all that speaks highly as well, especially when the film is on a surface level, very engaging, um, but then has a lot of depth to it. I think that's quite hard to do. And I think that Parasite totally achieves that really great. There is definitely, there's definite tension to a lot of it, like you just uh, touched upon as well, which I maybe didn't mention. Uh, and I think anyone who goes into this not knowing what they're watching will be surprised and disarmed repeatedly by it, which is always uh, a sign of a great film. Uh, but, go I on. Mean, I was just going to say, the scene where they're enjoying themselves in uh, the home and then the rich family come back mm. early is a scene of almost... It's almost brilliant slapstick comedy at times yeah. <laughs> with a, an absolute, you know, wrought amount of tension and uh, pressure and, you know, consequence. And that's, that's a lot of <laughs> dynamics going on at once, isn't it? That's what's, that's the brilliance. I know it's, it's you know, <laughs> not a lot of writers and directors would be able to spin that many plates, you know, simultaneously. It's, I mean, it's, it's incomparable. And um, I mean, he, he's made a lot of other great movies. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of what I'd put as his number two. Probably Memories of Murder, actually. Um, although I could easily put Snowpiercer or um, Mother, not to be confused with Mother, <laughs> the Darren Aronofsky <laughs> film. Um, I could easily put Okja. Um, so yeah, so you know, basically he, he, you can't put anything at number two. <laughs> it, it's difficult, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's... Um, and and uh, exactly why I wanted you to go first, Alex, fielding all those Korean names. Great job. <laughs> I knew there was a hidden oh, agenda yeah. and they do yeah, and they, the, the thing is they do all deserve to be named like that that's the thing do you know what was interesting by the way when I was looking this up and uh, maybe maybe someone can look this up for me because I'm lazy um, Korean names um, obviously they're, they're often double barreled so you've got uh, Jun Ho um, the Ho part uh, should not be capital or the, the second of the name should not be capitalised now I find that interesting because obviously, um, you know, it's not the same alphabet in the Korean language. Mm. So I, it would be very. I wish somebody could explain to me why that has why that conversion has happened in the English language because it, it's it's got to be a there's a conscious choice there. Mm. Get my researcher yeah, with emphasis or something. Yeah, get my researcher onto it. <laughs> I would be intrigued. Um, right, great. Um, right, I'll read through. I've I'll read through both your lists, correct me if I've got any of it wrong, and then I'll do a bit of a consensus like Al did for our uh, music. So here goes. So Alex Wayne at number five, we've got Soul. Number four, Lover's Rock. Number three, Uncut Gems. Two, Clemency. And one, Parasite. Michael, you've got Tenet at number five. Borat, subsequent movie film at number four. Three, Lover's Rock. Uh, Uncut Gems at number two. And Parasite at number one. So there's a lot of overlap, which helps me. So the consensus I've gone for is one, uh, obviously. Uh, sorry, let's start from number five. Just get the tension up. <laughs> I've put uh, Borat at number five because Michael had that at number four. Um, 
Al didn't have it, but um, I figured it, when I read the rest of the list, I think it'll make sense. Number four, I've gone for Clemency, another one that was only on one of your lists, this time on Al's list, and this one was on at number two, so higher up than uh, Borat was on Michael's, hence it's a bit higher on this one. Um, then we're on to the crossover one. So we've got Lover's Rock at number three, which was number four for Al and number three for Michael. Um, Uncut Gems at number two, which was number two for Michael and number three for Al and probably number two for me. Um, so I think it needs to be up there. And number one, obviously, Parasite, which is both your number ones and would also be my number one. Um, so I think that makes sense as a consensus list. Any arguments? No, none whatsoever. That, I'm, I'm looking at the list, and I think that makes sense. Yeah, no, I've got no problem with that. Um, well, the, there's only two films that have missed out on that, really. Um, Soul and Tenet, um, mm-hmm. both good films. No shame in missing out to the other five. No, absolutely, and I'll be watching uh, all the ones I haven't seen, Where, it, but I have actually seen a large proportion of these, which I wasn't expecting, so um, that's good. I think... I think we kind of started the podcast in, not intentionally, but in a kind of a negative main frame, mind frame in the sense that, you know, cinema has suffered and particularly, literally, cinema uh, may suffer. And, you know, it hadn't been the most productive year as a result. But I think, yes, there may not have been the depth though there would have been in other years. But I think if you look at that top five or top seven, if you include all the films we mentioned, there's still an immense amount of quality. I mean, Parasite, I think, would have been my number one in just about any year. Um, and Uncut Gems would have been certainly in my top five in just about any other year. Um, you know, incredible, incredible films. Yeah, for sure. Definitely have to uh, have to second that. Yeah, what a um, strong year. Like you say, maybe not for cinema <laughs> in, in the pure sense, but certainly some great films. Um, right. Well, we usually end up this with talking about what we're looking forward to can, coming up. So, can I just uh, on, can Michael, I just do sorry. something else uh, that I think yeah, you'll yeah, enjoy? Because I don't know if you'll know about this, Clive. Uh, the Borat film does have two alternative titles that I should read out um, oh. that were used in the film. So, the first is um, Borat subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. And uh, the even better one, the original title of the uh, of the film in the film, is uh, Borat, gift of pornographic monkey to Vice Premier Mikhail Pence to make benefit recently diminished nation of Kazakhstan. <laughs> Brilliant. Just thought you'd enjoy that. Oh, my God. I did enjoy that. Um, it's making me want to watch the film even more. Feel free to list it as that in any promotional materials for the pod. <laughs> <laughs> If it'll fit on a tweet, Jesus. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, on that note, what are we looking for? It's a bit difficult to predict, really, what we're looking forward to, because as as we discussed earlier, um, we're, wait- we're waiting for sort of cinemas to open and then there to be an inevitable deluge of stuff coming out. Um, is there anything in particular in that deluge that we're looking forward to, or, or anything else that we think will just be coming out? And streaming, don't know. You guys always seem to have your finger on the pulse, well, and I don't. So for me personally, it's just I'm looking forward to June. Um, that's the same for me. I was just going to talk about. Yeah, we already mentioned it, but that's top of yeah. my list. I mean, June is 100% um, the film I'm most looking forward to. I'm also looking forward to uh, The Many Saints of Newark, the um, Sopranos spin-off. Now, I wasn't necessarily before, but I think having rewatched Sopranos recently. Um, you know, I I would happily get back into that world, albeit not, you know, exactly the same world. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there would. Um, there, uh, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit of trepidation about that, but I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, but I was just going to mm-hmm. say as well, I'm sure there are pl- loads of directors that I love that are working on something, although it's a, it's a, might be a bit harder now. Um, I haven't been paying as much attention as I could have been, I think, but uh, uh, I need to need to have a look into some of that. When's uh, this Sopranos one coming out? So it's definitely this year. Uh, March, I think. Although mm-hmm. it may have, uh, could have been pushed again. Um, I think it, I see, thought it was, I, I was the summer, but I don't know. Yeah. See, I was never sure if it was getting a cinematic release or it was going straight to HBO, or in which case it would have been probably Sky in this country. Um, I'm not sure. I think it, by the sounds of it, it must be a cinema release. Um, but it is HBO, so it'll probably go straight to HBO Max in America from what we said earlier. Um, who knows in this country? Hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I've mentioned I've been watching uh, Sopranos. We're, we're up to uh, season five already. So, oh wow, yeah, uh, we've it. been watching it together. Great, really enjoying it. So we can probably talk about it on a TV pod in the future because I know. Ooh. Well, we don't have specific pods anymore, but in a more general one because I know our conversation got cut out by Bailey last time, uh, <laughs> and that was before I'd seen it. So maybe <laughs> we can have a bit of a. Well, I, I think I think we could easily dedicate one episode just to the Sopranos. Yeah. That would be doable. Yeah, and I really wanted to try and rewatch it um, before I go to the um, the event that I'm supposed to be going to, um, whenever that ends up being. Uh, so I definitely want to try and rewatch it because f- I've only seen it once. Uh, but it's it's it. I mean, on the basis of that one watch, I do believe it's the best TV show ever made. So um, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it at length because obviously we'll do that later. But I think. You in that discussion that was uh, rudely <laughs> chopped by by Bailey's uh, sitting on a microphone or whatever he did um, was the fact you said it was accessible and I completely agree. It for something so great it is incredibly accessible uh, and I think that is quite rare actually. So yeah, that's really good about it and loads of other things I could say. But yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it as you can tell by the fact of what we've watched five seasons of it uh, <laughs> quite quickly. So yeah. Excited to talk about that and excited to see what the future holds on the film front. Hopefully I'll watch a few more this year. I'm sure I will. I'm excited to get back into the cinema as I am excited to do lots of things because, well, it's got a bit monotonous, hasn't it? Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird, weird, weird times. But we'll not go on about that. Um, we'll be back next time for, I don't know if we're doing any more lists. Are you two wanting to do a TV shows list? Do you think you can? I definitely could, yeah. Cool. I don't know if anybody else could, though. I probably couldn't. You should just weave that into a... If you want. If you make it um, shorter, you should weave it into a normal podcast. Yeah, I'd, we could I'd do that. We could do, we could do it on the Sopranos episode. We could make it like a bit of a TV shows thing. Talk about Sopranos, and then you talk about your... Give us a short rundown of your top five or something like that. Yeah, maybe we could I'm do down that. with that. Cool. Which might not be next, but we'll see. <laughs> it depends when I finish Sopranos. Mm. <laughs> uh, although it's not going to be long so it might well be actually uh, which we could do we'll figure that out so we'll see you all or you'll hear us in a couple of weeks I'll give you I'll give you some things to look forward to um, well not of course of course we've already we've already advertised that uh, I'll need to come up with a uh, musical equivalent of uh, jumping the shark or eating the <laughs> orgasm cake uh, but also <laughs> you can also look forward to my top lyrics from the new Sleaford Mods album Oh, that does excite me! I remember this. I remember this being like on a very early pod. You did a top Arctic Monkeys lyrics. I think the first mm. ever live pod we did in Sheffield. It was. It was the Sheff. Mm. It was Sheffield themed. That was why I did it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that was a particularly great uh, segment of yours. So I'm excited about this. <laughs> Michael, I think as well, when, when you get these lyrics ready, I would like you to practice and see if you can deliver them in the style of Sleaford Mods. I mean, actually, in the style of Jason. I wouldn't even attempt to emulate Jason. Oh, no, I, I don't mean emulate him. I mean, do your own version of him. <laughs> a performance piece. I want to hear that. Maybe I should maybe I should do the top ones from the new album, as I've just said, and then maybe on the next pod after that I should do the top ones overall because that would be some list. Oh, yeah, yeah that would be, be some list. list. Uh, my number one, although I'd have to listen again, would probably be Eucalyptus. You can fuck off because I just fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one of my favourite lines of all time of anything, but. <laughs> not because there's any great depth to it but what a great line the fact that I'd actually forgotten <laughs> yeah. about that one says it all I think <laughs> yeah it's the way he delivers it oh fucking brilliant <laughs> I remember the first time I heard that I was like yeah this is bloody love this band and obviously the Kellogg's Cornflakes <laughs> yeah that's right up there <laughs> oh my god I've forgotten now off the top of my head but um, uh, Kellogg's Cunts or something isn't it um, <laughs> Kellogg's Corn Cunts it's, I don't know Bit, um, I want to. I want to get, to get it exactly right because there's a few yeah. different cereals in the mix. There, I'm going to look it up. One sec. <laughs> it's from tied up yeah, in knots. Yeah. Um, here it is. it is. It's it's the fact that England just intersects in there. That's what I love about it. Weetabix mm-hmm. England fucking shredded wheat Kellogg's cunts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I think we've come full circle. We talked about. Um, Eng- England on its own earlier, and now uh, <laughs> I think that has that has brought us full circle in the style of uh, the structure of Tenet. <laughs> wow! Oh my god! And people wow. say we're just a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we planned. We planned all that. We definitely planned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hours on end before. Uh, this, uh, uh, I mean, in, in the words of Stuart Lee, this is uh, this is this oh, is all. You've nicked my oh, bit. is that what you're going to say? It's all. This is this <laughs> yeah. is all written. This is all written. This that I'm saying now is written. And this. And this. And <laughs> 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 <I'm> this laugh. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I need to watch those again as well. Well, I, uh, I was rewatching right. Comedy Vehicle recently. Very well worth it. Obviously. Did I, um I was listening to Radio Six, and he was on about. He did a documentary about some a couple of bands um, whose names I've now forgotten, but I need to watch it. Yeah, Alex mentioned this to me. King, 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 yeah. King Rocker. Is it Nightingales and someone else? Um, someone. Oh, that, that's not what I was talking to Michael about. But yes, I know he's. I know he's a huge music aficionado. Um, I know he did. He did. He, he's released a film recently. Um, I can't even remember exactly. It's called King Rocker. Mm. Um, and it's about... Uh, yeah, no, sorry, it is The Nightingales, yeah. Um, oh, it's, it's that one then, yeah. Uh, and The Prefects. Yes, that's the two bands, yeah. I remember, um, I think it was Mark Riley on Radio 6 talking about it. Great, I'll have to watch that. Um, he also, I, I don't know if you know this, Clive, he also released a song to mark us leaving the European Union. <laughs> Co- coming know. over here. I mean, it was just—it was just his uh, his coming over here bit, which is superb, but set to music by I think the Asian Dub Foundation. Oh, brilliant! That is one of the greatest comedy segments of all time. So that sounds great. But the fact—the <laughs> fact that it had an accompanying music video was the best thing. He was uh, looking very unimpressed in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Amazing. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, we're up to the hour and a half mark, so I think it's plug time. At Stick Around Cast, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we post everything on there, so it's the best way to keep up to date with what's going on. Um, you can find us at stickaroundpodcast.com. We've got all our episodes on there and various articles, including uh, our, my top music of 2020 and my sort of yearly challenge of trying to find my favourite album of every year, which is on a bit of a pause while I do February album writing month, but I'll be picking it back up and hopefully finishing the 70s in March. Um, we've also got, we're on facebook.com slash stickaroundpodcast, same as the Twitter feed that if you use um, Facebook and don't use Twitter, or you can find us on Instagram at stickaroundpodcast, I believe, on there. Uh, if you want to send us a message on stickaroundpodcast.com, there's a little contact us form, or you can just send an email to stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com. Most useful, though, tell your friends, uh, and go on iTunes, give us a five-star or a one-star there. Uh, we don't like any of those middly, shitty stars. Um, <laughs> and then that puts us, well, in the case of five stars, higher up and we always end up getting a lot more listeners when someone does post as a review so it's much appreciated even though i know that the itunes system is incredibly outdated and a massive pain in the arse because i tried to review our own pod um so i thought this will boost the numbers um i'll pretend to be someone called dave smith um <laughs> couldn't fucking log in to write a review it was really difficult so i'm totally <laughs> understand why we've got so little reviews and it's not because we're not great it's because iTunes, what a fucking pain in the arse. And it's it's weird that this hasn't it hasn't evolved. Um it still like seems to be the central podcast sort of hub. Um even though it's very clunky. But anyway If, if you ever if you ever manage to successfully do it, or if you review it anywhere, can you please do it under the name uh Flive Kisher though? <laughs> Yes, that's okay, done. I'm going to try and do that now. You've given me added um, <laughs> added motivation to try and get through the freaking Ex- extra weird impetus. system. That's, yeah. that's what you needed. Yeah. <laughs> A better name. <laughs> right, okay. Um, well, it's been lovely speaking to you all. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for hopefully the Sopranos and uh, Al's Top 5 episode, which I'm excited to do. Um, we have been Michael Johnson. Indeed. Alex Wayne. Yeah, I, I was tempted to answer for Michael there, and then he could have answered for me, but uh, that would have confused the listener. <laughs> mm. Do that. We'll do that one time. We'll throw it in. And I, uh, <laughs> yeah, do it. And I've been Clive Fisher. Have you? Stick around. <laughs> Stick around, <laughs> everyone. Didn't even do the accent. Huh? <laughs> Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around